Welcome to Metal Injections, the Squared Circle Pit. Today's special guest, former WWE announcer, Arda O'Kell. And now, here is your host, Rob Paspani. It's another edition of the Squared Circle Pit. I can't believe it's May already. I have an awesome interview today. I'm interviewing former WWE announcer Kyle Edwards, who goes by the real name of Arda O'Cal. He's a great dude. I met him here in New York City a few years ago. Total metalhead from Canada and has a great story about how he made it to live his dream for a while to be the WWE broadcaster and how it uh, might not have necessarily worked out for him. But it's a great story and a lot of twists and turns and, and stories about working backstage and advice he's gotten from legends and it's a really really cool interview and it's it's pretty long it's over an hour so i'm going to keep my talking to a minimum i just want to quickly mention payback i watched payback earlier this week and i have to say i was pretty disappointed with it uh, the, the house of horrors match sounded terrible and it was terrible it was it was really i don't know you know like we always laugh about those skits WCW would do in the early 90s, whether it be the Dungeon of Doom or that like Sting Invader stuff that Dusty Rhodes produced and how cheesy it was. And I feel like this House of Horrors match was really on that level. And even taking out like the, the cinematic stuff, just the action itself was boring. It was just two guys walking through a house and punching and kicking each other like that was lame. And then uh, the whole idea of, of arriving back at the venue and then them wrestling in the venue was just, ugh. And then on top of that, the ending was such a non-ending. Like, Jinder Mahal comes in and interferes and, and beats up Randy Orton and helps Bray Wyatt win. So what does Bray Wyatt really get out of this feud? Randy Orton beat him for his title. He disbanded his family. And the only way that Bray Wyatt could beat him is with some help cheating from Jinder Mahal, who a few weeks ago was a total jobber. So this feud has done nothing but, like, bury Bray Wyatt. made him less cool than he was before he started in the angle with Randy Orton. And in general, I feel like they really messed up Bray Wyatt. I kind of feel like they don't know how to write for him. And it's annoying. But I don't want to be too negative. You know, I, I like to keep things positive on the show. So the things I did like about last night's show, I loved the main event. I loved watching Braun destroy Roman Reigns. And I liked the Cruiserweight match. So th those are my positives. All right, let's get to the interview. We don't really talk about modern WWE. We talk about a lot of classic stuff, a lot of cool stuff here with Arda Ocal. Now entering the squared circle pit. You may know him. You may have known him as Kyle Edwards from WWE. Arda Ocal. Thank you, sir. I'm pretty sure nobody remembers Kyle Edwards. I'm pretty sure Kyle Edwards was like a flash in the pan, <laughs> like the the biggest trivia question possible of obscurity in WWE. You were you were the NXT Control Center guy. That's how I remember. You were doing those when there oh, was. Oh, I was that... the Sean Mooney of NXT. Yeah, exactly. All right. You were doing those uh, tournament recaps or whatever. I did they're... do that. Yes, yeah, that's, that's true. That's I guess that would have been the most high profile thing I did. That and five things. Oh, that's right. About that's shows. about it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. So unless but... you lived in India. Oh, right. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, you did plenty plenty of international listeners right now are like, oh, Kyle Edwards. Yes, yes. Of course. <laughs> uh, but your career did not start the WWE. I want to talk to you about your your journey, your 
fandom of professional wrestling and also heavy metal. Yeah. The two topics that this podcast is about. Absolutely. What what passion came to you first, metal or pro wrestling? Both of them came to me from the same human being. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, I had a, uh, my, my parents uh, had family friends, and uh, the, their daughter was my age, around my age, so we got along very well. It was one of the families that you'd go and visit when you were a kid, mm-hmm. and we'd spend March breaks together, that kind of thing. She had an older brother, Murat, and Murat was a huge metalhead, loved Metallica. This was late 80s, and... Uh, loved pro wrestling, mm-hmm. WWF at the time. Through him, I discovered both. Uh, I believe, I don't remember exactly the first time I saw pro wrestling. I, it was definitely in the mid 80s. It, it was probably a Saturday night's main event. I want to mm-hmm. say it was a Saturday night's main event. And I was watching it at their house. And he was obsessed with wrestling. He had this like gold belt, like a championship belt looking belt mm-hmm. that he would like jump off the furniture with an elbow drop and it just basically hooked me from there just uh, the couch wrestling the couch <laughs> wrestling hooked me it wasn't yeah. it wasn't hulk hogan at all it was the couch <laughs> wrestling that got me yeah just and i've been doing backyard wrestling ever since yeah <laughs> uh but how i discovered um, uh, heavy metal and metallica in particular was he had a cassette tape player mm-hmm. anyone remember, remembers those yes young young kids uh <laughs> you millennials out there they're they're like those things that cds are that you don't use anymore <laughs> that's like yeah, it's how like many generations the, the, the one before the cds yeah <laughs> so uh he and it was so we it was so perfectly cued like ride the lightning was in his tape deck and i snuck into his room he wasn't there that day i snuck into his room and i was always curious what he he never played metallica for us mm-hmm. and i didn't know what metallica was i just saw his headphones and the cassette tape deck on the power was on so i put the headphones on and i literally pressed play and it was like perfectly in between fight fire with fire and ride the lightning like right at this silent like fight fire with fire had just ended on the cassette and there was like a second of silence and then the opening riff of ride the lightning and i've never been the same since that was like the first riff i discovered of heavy metal and i was like what the heck is this that's a great this first is amazing right <laughs> this is amazing yeah and then yeah so then i discovered metallica oh nice so you've been into metal uh, for a while since you were a kid then i'm, I'm guessing. yes uh, i i the fandom grew later like high school was probably the peak of mm-hmm. uh, my discovering phase of metal uh and uh but yeah i've Metallica my entire life for sure mm-hmm. that's cool uh and so when you were watching wrestling was it always something like oh I want to be involved in that or it was like wh- when when did you hit that point when you were like I need to go from being a fan to being like an active participant I I never wanted to be a pro wrestler yeah. I, I never had a dream to be in the ring taking bumps Getting mm-hmm. that crowd reaction? No, that wasn't for me. I always idolized the guys behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. The, the the people behind the microphone were who I wanted to be. So my heroes growing up were Mean Gene Okerlund and Howard Finkel and Jim Ross and Gorilla Monsoon. You know, the people yeah. that were calling the matches or interviewing the wrestlers and being the ring announcer. That Those are the people that I looked up to. I always wanted to do that, but I had no idea how right. that was even done. Right. That seemed like more attainable than like being the wrestler or, for or just I, that, or that just seemed more appealing you. to me. Yeah, nice. more attainable. Sure. But it was uh, for me. Definitely. I was not an athletic uh, kid. I was I was definitely overweight growing yeah. up. So like I, I 
anything athletic to me, like I played sports, but anything athletic to me on a professional level, absolutely not. There'd be no yeah. way. So uh, I, I was always gravitating towards the people that were involved in for for this conversation, yeah, pro wrestling and, yeah. and sports, like people that were involved in it on the broadcast. Just side. broad, you were just yeah. always interested in broadcast, exactly. Yeah. So, but I never knew. You, you, there's no like at the time when you grow up, no uh, guidance counselor is going to tell you. Well, actually, this is how Mean Gene made it in uh, pro wrestling, <laughs> and this is exactly what you do. Right. And honestly, that still doesn't really happen. I mean, you can get good advice from people, but it's not like there's a set path on becoming a WWE announcer. Everybody really goes. Uh, gets into the company in different ways, right? They all have different paths that lead to the same uh, destination, right? So I honestly didn't think that it would be a job. I, yeah. I didn't think that I would ever be able to be a, an announcer like that. So uh, I really kind of put it in the back of my mind. And my parents uh, are immigrants. And so they were all about, you know, getting a decent job that was a, a stable full-time job because they grew up, my, my dad particularly grew up poor. And so he, his dream was simply to come to North America and make a life for himself, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. He grew up in Turkey and he was very poor. And uh, when he was in uh, university, he had the opportunity to come to Canada and he jumped to it, right? So I was mm -hmm. born and raised in Canada and he, uh, for many years, stocked shelves and did everything he could not to be forced to go back to the homeland, right? Mm -hmm. Because he wanted a better life. And so uh, that afforded me the opportunity to dream and to wish and hope one day to be a WWE broadcaster or a broadcaster in sports, uh, but they always said, no, we want you to be, or, or please. If your parents had their me. way, what would, what would you be doing? I'd still be a project manager at, well, I was working at Dun & Bradstreet at the time. So what, what I ended up doing was I ended up getting a degree. I got a degree in math and business. So mm -hmm. I went to, I went to university, got the degree, and then I worked in the corporate world for a while. But what I didn't realize was that entire time when I was in university, uh, nights and weekends I would spend at the local radio station. It was called CKMS 100.3 FM. I still remember that. And it was, we were lucky because it was not only a campus station, but it was a community station too. So you, so the reach was far. You, it would reach awesome. two or three cities. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I was getting this invaluable experience that I didn't really even realize at the time. Yeah, you never know at the time, like, Oh, just hanging out and goofing off. Like, no, 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 this is broadcasting. <laughs> I was, I was happy to alphabetize their tapes. I was happy yeah. to fill in and necessary. Like I remember the log sheets or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I remember the first time that I filled in for like a morning block for three hours, I was so nervous. I planned every single song. I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to fill this three hours? What was the format of the station? It was just college radio. Anything just you wanted to. Yeah, really. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like a. It wasn't like pop music or whatever. It was just yeah. anything. That's so f I feel like my college radio station was the building. Like, if I didn't join my college radio station, there would be no metal injection. Like, I wouldn't have really? done it, too. Yeah, well, I met some of the people that I still work with there. But also, it was just like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do. Like, I want to do something in media, something in broadcasting. So... Anybody listening out there, college radio is a great way to decide <laughs> if you really want to do this, if, you're, if, if you really have a passion for it. That's the best outlet to, to begin with. So uh, you were at your college station, then you were like, yeah, this is fun. I want to do this. Uh, were you doing like your best Fink impression? Do you have a Fink impression? <laughs> no. <laughs> the following contest is scheduled for one fall. The Undertaker. I mean, the Fink is the most oh, legendary announcer. Actually, he definitely is, and he's like, he's the, he's the goat man. Yeah, he's the goat for ring announcers. It's course. such a bummer that he's been phased out from like the TV, like even. But he has a job for life, though. Like, yeah, I, I would see him around the office when I was working at WWE. I'd always stop in once a week to talk to Fink, and mm -hmm. and I mean, yeah, I mean, of course, nostalgia sort of dictates that you wish you saw him more frequently publicly. But yeah. 
but, but he I just mean, has like the most he's iconic employee number one, right? Right, like, right. He's the first employee. He ever. came up with WrestleMania, the name. He exactly. came up with the name. So yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and it, actually, I one thing that uh, he told me once, uh, I, I think I did an impression for him, and I said, uh, Brett, the Hitman Heart. You know how you would yeah, yeah, shorten yeah. Heart, and he he looked at me like. I don't say the, it's Brett Hitman Hart. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right. It's true. <laughs> nice to yeah. be corrected by the Fink. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> My favorite call of his was just when, when there'd be a new champion and just like the, the, the brief pause and then, oh, no! yeah. and then like <laughs> huge pop from the crowd. And yeah. it, would, it would always get me going. So you're in college, you're doing the, the broadcasting that uh, you're doing the radio show. And is that when you were like, Hey, I want to, do the, or that was the beginning of it, right? That's when gotta... I uh, subconsciously I caught the bug. And so what happened after that was I went into the corporate world. I was a project manager. And for a year, I worked for a small startup uh, as a implementation specialist. And basically, I traveled around a lot. And that was fun. Like, I didn't realize that I really enjoyed to travel on a company's dime. So I did that for a while. I went to <laughs> all around North America. I even went to Panama a couple of times. Like, it was it was fun oh, nice. to travel. Yeah. But what I didn't realize was when I was home off of work, uh, nights and weekends, I would spend it at the local public access television station. And I thought that I, I was I wasn't uh, I didn't drink at the time. I wasn't like going out to bars and that kind of thing. So I was spending all my nights and weekends at this public access channel, Rogers TV. It was in Mississauga, which is a suburb of Toronto. And I basically said, look, I want to be able to volunteer here. Like I really enjoy being around this environment. Still not thinking that it would be a job. I right. still thought it would be a hobby. Just a hang. Yeah. Exactly, because I didn't think that I was properly trained or I was adequately, yeah. or I wasn't, I didn't have the proper tools you to do this. You didn't realize that everyone in broadcasting is kind of a I did up. not know that. Exactly. <laughs> we're all faking it till we make it, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they said, and how okay, old were you? Oh, like... this was uh, early 20s for okay, sure. Okay. So I, they, they basically said, okay, well, we'll let you volunteer, but you have to do something for us. Can you drive? And I said, yeah, I have a license. They said, okay, well, what you're going to have to do for us is... Uh, drive our they had a community cruiser van so basically it was it was uh, decked out in Rogers TV like decals and whatever mm -hmm. and I would drive it to uh, community events like a local 5k run uh, for charity and then I would set up a table that ha it was in the back uh, in the trunk and there was a wheel that you would spin and people would get like trinkets and and, I see. So like basically pens. street team. like street Yeah, team exactly. Yeah. I was leading the street team. I did that for a couple of years. And in exchange, they would let me shadow the director and the producer and the on-air talent. And how does graphics work? How does audio work? Like, so that's, I learned strictly by shadowing, honestly. Yeah. That's, that's how I got my foot in the door. And through that, you earn respect and you, and people see you around. And then my first break on the air came a few years in for doing that, maybe two or three years after I started doing that, they had open auditions and then I auditioned and that's when they said, okay, well actually it seems like you might have something here. We're going to put you on this program and that's, and then it went from there. So you auditioned, what was the audition for what? Like what did you It was do? just a general audition. It was like, I did, I, I must've, I did like, I don't know, a, f a sports read. And then mm -hmm. I also did like a, f a mock interview. Yeah. And then they said, okay, well, we have this show called Swap Shop, which was kind of like a eBay, a televised eBay. Mm -hmm. Like people called in and it was an auction sort of, or they were listing their stuff for sale. Or people would call in with like bicycles and computers or whatever they wanted to sell. And I would ask them questions about the product. Okay, so how many gears is the bike? What color is it? Or how are yeah, the tires? Yeah. What are you selling it for? Is this your correct phone number? And then that was it. It was basically just me and a gotcha. co-host. Yeah. 
Uh, and so you were volunteering for two years for free, like they weren't paying you. Oh yeah, no, years? no, not at all. It was completely volunteer. But right. I was also I was making money uh, at the project the management job, right? Gotcha. So then I yeah. moved to a couple places there. But then one day, I think it was like when I was 27 or so, I noticed that uh, Rogers was picking up a little bit, and there might be opportunities to uh, get some paying gigs. And then I just woke up one day. I said, I'm not happy doing the project management thing. And mm-hmm. why? I, if I have a family one day I'm going to regret not chasing this because at that point it was sort of bubbling I, I kind of wanted to see where I could take broadcasting yeah so I quit and I said I'm going to pursue this full-time and see where it goes and then so you quit cold turkey like without having anything lined up you're just like I'm going to quit and focus on I, I I, I kind of felt like something would develop at Rogers but yeah it wasn't a it wasn't a guaranteed thing it wasn't like mm-hmm. I yeah and then that summer I I, I left probably in April or May, and then in September uh, that year, I think it was 2008, I uh, landed a daily talk show in Toronto. And it wasn't like a lucrative gig. It only paid like 50 bucks a day. Like, it wasn't like yeah, a... What was the talk show? Like, what was the talk It was just show? like a local... It was kind of like a localized, like, Regis and Kelly kind of thing. You I You know, see. like, where the... But, like, if it was taxis and the local accountant would come in and give us tips or mm-hmm. the local gardener would come in for summer garden pl- planning. So, like, a regional daytime show? Exactly. Like, a daytime news show? Yeah, and it was called Daytime. So, oh, <laughs> there you there have you it. Go. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and throughout all this, I'm assuming you're still watching wrestling. You're still yeah. into it. Who was your guy in the 90s? Who was your... Uh, Mr. Perfect, for sure. I was a big Mr. Perfect fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, loved... I didn't realize it at the time, but he was just, like, really entertaining to me. I love the gimmick, but... Uh, even when I got into like the indies and just understood the mechanics of wrestling behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, then I even grew a bigger appreciation for him because he just he sold so well, right? Like yeah. he, he made his opponents look so good, right? And I didn't really realize that that's what I was appreciating at the time. Yeah, and the, how important that is. You yeah. don't like pay attention to that. Yeah, like you appreciate the work right now. It's like it's funny. Like Hulk Hogan was the one f- that sucked in so many people, right? Like mm-hmm. that that introduced people to wrestling yeah but then when you watch it back now a lot of those matches are interesting for the story perspective but like if you're watching it for the the mechanics of it like there were some matches in the 80s like the bret hart tiger mask matches dynamite kid like there were all these wrestlers that were amazing and way ahead of their time like imagine dynamite kid was around today yeah in nxt you know yeah like just watching those uh uh dynamite kid tiger mask matches and watching the flying head scissors and seeing how oh. like 30 years ago you know the proto huracan ranas <laughs> right and just these two guys like killing it like and it totally holds up all these years later yeah uh, like that so, bret hart owen hart match from wrestlemania 10 oh one of my favorite you know what no my favorite bret hart owen hart match is the steel cage match that they had at summer SummerSlam. SummerSlam? yeah you like that one better that's my favorite steel cage match because it actually has the psychology of a steel cage match where like the first thing that Owen Hart does when the bell rings is he runs to the door and he tries to escape. And like, that's the point of the match is to escape. You're not, you don't want to fight like, well, in the, in the WWE rules. So I think they, they were the only two that actually used that, the like reasoning, the psychology or whatever, and, and use it to their advantage. And it was such a fun match. And not only that, he was the younger brother and he had a chance to win the championship and he was going to do it in a sneaky younger brother type. Right, way, right. Yeah. Running out of the cage. Like, yeah, Haha, I pulled one over on you, older brother. I'm the champion now. Yeah. Like, that would have been a. Yeah, I really didn't appreciate that match when I was a kid, like going back to it. Yeah. Both of them. The WrestleMania match, too, is just that one's so good. So like, good. It was so simple. Yeah. Every move made sense. It meant something. 
it was and the finish was the best i yeah. loved the the victory roll and it was like he kicked out a three and a quarter it yeah, was, yeah everything about it was so good even owen had like a goober remember that like yes yes he cut so that good. promo and it's like come on tell him to <laughs> clean his face before he cuts he, the promo he's it's like such a younger brother thing right i yeah. just beat you brett and then he holds up the three with his fingers and he shoves it into yeah, brett's yeah. face and like brett's just like ah uh, well you got me, Owen. I, yeah. just, and then and then Brett wins the title later in the night, and yeah. then Owen comes back out. And yeah, like, that was a great, what a great story. Oh, yeah, brilliant, awesome, awesome story. Uh, yeah, Owen Hart was, was definitely one of the one of my top guys for sure. I always liked him more than Brett because <laughs> I was more of a Shawn Michaels fan as a kid. So like Brett was always his, you know, like the Ken to his Ryu <laughs> or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So I like I, I I held that against Bret Hart. I feel as a kid. Uh, but Shawn Michaels was like my favorite wrestler in the nineties. I had the the gloves and the silly shades and everything, and it was it was a fun time. But you said you got involved in in the indies. Was there a big indie scene in, in Toronto? There was, yeah, like there was a. Well, there was uh, when I got involved. Uh, the main trainer in Toronto was a guy called uh, Rob Fuego. He wrestled as El Fuego, and uh, he had square circle training in Toronto, and that's where I. Uh, first start to volunteer and there was a show how, how old were you here i was so this was 2005 2006 so 24 25 about. okay so like as you're doing the as i'm doing everything i, I decided to uh get involved because i loved i i guess well you know like when the when the uh internet exploded in the late 90s and suddenly you're learning about all these insider terms and you're learning yeah. about the intricacies of pro wrestling and and Vince McMahon goes on raw and basically admits that it's a work and like all these things yeah. right and so you're kind of curious it made me even more curious about pro wrestling where it might have turned some people off it made me even more curious about the about how everything works right so mm-hmm. I started volunteering at local shows. There was a sh- there was a promotion called BSE. It was it stood for Blood, Sweat, and Ears. I didn't make up the name. Didn't make up the name. Uh, it was uh, uh, it originally started as a pro wrestling concert uh, mashup, but uh, it just later went to pro wrestling. But we uh, through that uh, indie, we booked a lot of heavy duty people. Man, like Kurt Angle worked with us. Christian worked with us. Christopher Daniels, Bobby Roode. Uh, so this was the mid 2000s. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, anybody that was working at TNA at the time uh, didn't have exclusive contracts. We could book them all. Frankie Kazarian, Tracy Brooks, Gail Kim, uh, Christy Hamule. There was a lot of people that we booked that worked with TNA or if they were in between. Like we mm-hmm. worked, uh, we did shows in. So I eventually, I worked my way through the ranks. I started with setting up chairs and helping set up the ring and, and stuff like that. Mostly chairs because the ring is more reserved for the workers themselves like that's how they prove themselves and mm. and so i helped set up chairs and hand out flyers and stuff like that and then worked my way up to helping promote shows uh-huh. uh, so it's kind of just like you show up you don't complain you just do it whatever exactly. you're told and eventually they'll trust you enough to give you more responsibility i think that's how it works everywhere that's how yeah. it worked for me in, in at, at the public access channel that's how it worked for me at the indie independent wrestling Honestly. yeah i mean it's just good advice they do, once they believe that you care, right? And once yeah. they believe that you want this bad enough, they're going to find something for you to do. Even if it's a menial task, doesn't matter. That menial task is getting you prepared for what you truly want. Yeah, and also reliability is such a hard thing to come by. Oh, totally, so, especially among volunteers. Yeah, so once they see that you're not just like there for the ride or that you're actually like helping out, I'm sure they're much more likely to 
to make you a part of it. So you, you work your way up, and now you're promoting shows. Like, how long did it take between the two? Probably a couple of years. I mean, mm-hmm. in 2008, I did uh, some really cool uh, events. Like, we brought pro wrestling to the Canadian Arctic, which was, like, one of the highlights of my wow. – still one of the highlights of my life. It was fantastic. We, we went there four times in total, but the first time was in January 2008 and uh totally random we got an email from somebody there they they had seen our shows when they came to toronto mm-hmm. and uh there was a guy who uh, was a big wrestling fan he lived up there and said i'd love to help locally if there's a way that we can make this happen so him and i both uh coordinated all the efforts getting the talent booked getting how do we get up there how do we get the ring up there how do we get the finances what venue are we using and they it just so happened that they had a hockey rink called the arctic winter games arena that uh, was available uh, only half of it though because half of it was sinking uh, into the f- permafrost because it is in the Canadian Arctic like, this is so far north that it's like so uh, we went in January and there was only like two or three hours of sunlight a day like that's how north it is yeah wow right and then we went back uh, in the summer one time or in May and there was like 22 hours of sunlight it was like one of the like yeah, just yeah, to give yeah. you an idea of how far north this is mm-hmm. in a Callaway it's the name of the and place. you drove up there no 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 we uh, we drove to Ottawa and then we took a plane. It was a three-hour plane ride north from Ottawa to Iqaluit. Wow, yeah. that's yeah. insane. Yeah, uh, it was a place. How many people live around? I think it was like eight or eight or nine thousand people uh, live in the vicinity of this of Iqaluit. So it was like it, it was. And a, how many was, people showed up to the show? Oh man, uh, the ma- actually the fire marshal uh, only allowed us to have I think it was seven hundred people. That was the maximum because of the of the sinking. Half of the arena was deemed oh, to be God. a risk, <laughs> and so we weren't allowed to put any chairs there. There was a, t- yeah. a tarp like a, a roped off area that we weren't allowed to use, and so the maximum was I think it was like six or seven hundred. Uh, both shows sold out. Uh, and because they hadn't like, seen wrestling, I don't think like they, wrestling had ever been of the there. Population. I like, know that's insane. I know yeah, that's a lot of people. It was amazing. Who was on that show? It was uh, Rhino was there, Bobby Roode was there, uh, and we booked a lot of uh, local talent: Tyson Dukes, Brent B. Uh, who else was on that show? There were a lot of great, a lot of great talent on mm-hmm. that show. I, I'm a big. Uh, this is a whole separate conversation, but I'm a big uh, supporter and cheerleader for the talent that comes out of Ontario, that at the indie level, that mm-hmm. are like on the cusp to make it. Yeah, I'm a big cheerleader for a lot of them because I feel like they got a lot of talent. Who, so, who anyway. are some of the guys? Do you think that? Tyson Dukes, Brent B for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Tyson has had uh, some looks uh, WWE wise. He's been in TNA for a cup of coffee as well. Uh, Brent B is somebody I definitely hope people look at. Uh, Smash Wrestling is an independent promotion right now. Oh yeah, run by uh, a guy by the name of Sebastian Suave, who's also an independent wrestler, but he uh, promotes uh, Smash Wrestling. He's the you uh, operates Smash Wrestling. Uh, I would consider it to be like the PWG of Canada. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I've I've written about them. They've had uh, Andy from Every Time I Die come up and wrestle for them. So mm. uh, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they 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 book a very quality talent. Michael Elgin's from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's on the cusp. I could see him in NXT anytime soon. He's he's a huge star in Japan now. Oh, he's, he's like yeah, he's big. He's mark. making it. He's team yeah. with Tanahashi. Yeah, yeah exactly. Great. I mean, that's, <laughs> there, there, there's a ton of talent, and there's a lot of females too. Because Rob Rob Fuego trained a lot of. Uh, the uh, the females Gail Kim uh, Tracy Brooks you know he had a hand mm-hmm. in training them um, and so uh, there's a lot of yeah that's great I feel like Gail Kim is so underrated like oh, she, totally if she came in if she was like ten years younger or whatever she would be like the 
the world champion now. You know, like, like if she came in today. Yeah, if she came in today. If she broke in today. For yeah, sure. if she broke in today. Yeah, that's what she'd I was trying to say. She'd be having who's the champion right now? Oscar. Uh, Oscar on NXT. Okay, so yeah. She'd have a. She'd be. Oh my god. A feud with Oscar right now. She'd be the next be challenger. I didn't realize I wanted that until you just said it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put it out in the universe, folks. Let's Gail get Kim it. versus Oscar. Get Gail Kim for the next takeover. Uh, <laughs> so you're booking these shows, uh, and now you're like, I mean, this is like pretty big experience now booking these shows because indie wrestling aside you're, you're a show promoter now you're you're an event organizer yeah. you know uh and so like how much of of your time was this taking or is this still just like a hobby or? passion man i just get, yeah you I didn't just get, you didn't you didn't think about it even if i was if, if it were 18 hour days or 18 hour days like i i yeah. didn't care I, I mean it was it was a lot of fun i enjoyed it and that was my vacation like I, there wasn't a point where you're like, why am I doing this? No, I always felt that there was a mean to an end at that point when I had uh, started to get the taste of being in the wrestling industry. Mm-hmm. Like I always knew I wanted to work at WWE. Like that was always a dream of mine. And uh, f- from 2006 on, I had started sending them demo tapes. So, so from like, 2006, you started having the confidence to say like, oh, I could do this. Like how long yeah. were you? How long were you uh, doing broadcasting at that point? I had I had started volunteering at the radio station in 2000. Okay. So, so. I had at least an, a knowledge, not regularly on the air, but at least maybe once a week, either filling in or doing some sort of show. So six years uh, into for, like dreaming, you know, yes. like you were like, well, right, the dreaming I'm, was all all entire life, but yeah, like, but, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, having a foothold in the industry. Right, right, right. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was implying. Okay, yeah. So, so in 2006, you're sending them tapes. Yes, awful uh, tapes. May I add, it was. Of course. Uh, in hindsight, I would never have sent those. Uh, it was awful. I was really bad. <laughs> I mean, I feel not like that I'm not anymore. I'm just hanging yeah, at the time. Uh, I feel like that's with anybody. You know, you're gonna cringe at your oh, first man. demos. Uh. <laughs> so my first, so I I sent them stuff, and and the first time I ever heard back from them was 2009. It was like three years later. I'd sent them uh-huh. stuff every quarter, probably for three or four years. And you and would make heard. a new tape every every quarter. Or, or like I assumed like I at that point I had heard people's journeys and how they how they uh, reached out to WWE uh-huh. and so I knew that a lot of the tapes probably weren't even looked at or 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 uh, missed because of the amount of mail that they received uh-huh. and so I for a year I would send the same tape and then I would change it up if there was any new uh, material that had come about I'd put stuff from the independence I'd put stuff from Rogers TV I'd put it together in a demo oh, so it was a reel of like your work yes, lo- like, yeah. like stuff you've done at, at other places exactly yeah. it wasn't like a WWE tailored no uh, later demo. in the process so like so just to give you the journey yeah, to yeah, WWE yeah. is like so 2009 I have my very first audition and it was in studio in Stanford so they fly me in uh, I'm nervous wreck because I mean, when you dream of something like, and was this in like Titan Tower, or, like their yeah. broadcast? No, well, they have a they have a, a studio uh, mm-hmm. across the down the way yeah. in Stanford still. But you still Titan like Tower. went into like the the building, I'm guessing, and like yeah, stuff. yeah, and it's and, like, just like wow, like I grew up loving this, and now I'm here. Like mm-hmm. this is insane, right? So I do the audition. It's with Joey Styles. So Joey Styles is uh, doing different impressions of people. Like they basically get me to read a couple of on camera segments, and then. I have to interview Joey Styles, and then they're like, "Okay, Joey, you're going to be Edge," and uh, I'm interviewing Edge, and then I say something, and then he imitates Edge, and you know, it's just hilarity right. ensues, kind of thing. Uh, but I, it was awful. That audition was terrible. And actually, from that audition is where they hired Scott Stanford, and Scott Stanford is still with the company right now. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would sit with him like weekly when I was there. 
He's a great guy. He's he's a really good dude. He, yeah, yeah. He has a he has a terrific. Yeah, exactly. He's <laughs> he's Mr. New York. Yeah, yeah. Mr. New York. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, um, probably a better decision to have hired him at the time. <laughs> I think. <laughs> anyway, I went back and I at that point uh, in 2009. Now I um, am still doing stuff with Rogers. I'm I've moved into sports by that point because I figured in my head at at one point probably around 2000. 2009 mm-hmm. uh, I got some good advice from who was it from it was either JR or somebody somebody who had done announcing maybe maybe mean Gene uh, they basically told me every decision that you make if you want to work for WWE every decision you make for your career moving forward you need to keep that dream in mind and make sure that it aligns with that dream so I said this is great advice and that's like, like what does he mean? Like what do you so, mean? So for example, if I was presented an opportunity, right? And if I felt like that opportunity would based on the information I knew about how WWE hires their announcers, if I felt like that opportunity would be uh counterintuitive to working there. Mm-hmm. Oh, you wouldn't take it. I yeah. See. Right, okay. right. So that's why I decided to get into sports because I knew that sports was seen as a something good to be right. associated with to become a WWE announcer, so that so I started to do local hockey, like and Rogers. Systems. So like you're saying, like they're a big cable company, right? Yes. they're like one yes. of the biggest. This they're like Time the, Warner, exactly, or, or Spectrum, whatever. Yeah, in Canada, the media landscape is a little bit different. Imagine AT and T and Verizon owning pretty much every channel in America. That's what happens in Canada. There's two major telecommunications companies called Rogers and Bell, and they own the majority of the television stations in Canada. Okay, so you were working for the one of the two broadcasting companies at the regional level. Yeah, at the regional level. I wasn't a blip on the radar. But what I ended up doing, which is where I sort of got my break, is there was a third independent channel called The Score, Mm -hmm. uh, which was sort of like the Ring of Honor. Put it that way just to give wrestling context right they okay. were like the ring of honor uh when ring of honor was or like rogers out. and bell are like wwe and wcw and, and and the score is like ecw yes that's even better yeah yeah and like the talent reflected that because there's so many great talent like hungry hungry yeah but like the if you looked at the roster of talent from the score uh, in 2009 and 2010, a lot of those people are working in big places. Renee is from the score. Like I worked with her at the score. There are like heavy hitting yeah, talent. I, I'm familiar with the score and I've never even watched any Canadian broadcast <laughs> just because they had uh, that off the record show. That was with TSN with Michael Landsberg. Oh, OK. Yeah. Never mind. He but you know what? He influenced me a lot because he uh, was the first guy that I ever saw do behind the scenes interviews. Mm-hmm. I remember he interviewed The Undertaker once and I thought yeah. that, that was the, the, the craziest thing that he was able to get an interview. Interviewed this was Vince in 2002, too. I think. Yeah, he did like, Vince McMahon. He did Shane and Stephanie. And yeah. this was when quote unquote shoot interviews didn't really exist. Yeah. He was doing things way ahead of this was when Vince McMahon never granted anybody interviews let alone and like when they when you would see Vince McMahon doing an interview it would be like like a fluff piece you know like he's promoting wrestling it would never be a out of character business analysis type of interview so that's what so okay what I found out though not to uh, yeah what I found out was uh so one of the uh, few things I still keep in touch with wrestling wise I listen to the uh the Bruce Pritchard podcast okay yeah something to wrestle I'm gonna this is a hot take 
To me, the star of that podcast is Conrad Thompson. Conrad he Thompson is, is the a star great, of that podcast. Yeah, I haven't listened to too much of the uh, of the something. We I I would follow Conrad and yeah. his podcast. I listen to the Tony Schiavone one yeah. uh, periodically because of Conrad and his preparation. Well, I he is yeah. terrific at preparation. I listened to the Ric Flair show, which is how he got his. Oh yeah, podcast was that good? I never listened to that one. It was awesome because of conrad because, because of conrad like it was essentially conrad's show and rick flair was like the featured guest every week so he would oh. like like rick flair's not going to be preparing for a podcast oh, yeah you know so there would be a topic and, and conrad like goes through like you know the timeline points moment by moment and then Absolutely. rick flair would like give his take i i i give props to him because i know how much effort it takes to put that preparation together mm -hmm. because i did the same thing with jimmy corderas right later mm -hmm. in my career uh you know 2009 2010 we were watching every wrestlemania and doing wrestlemania podcasts and i had to prepare mm -hmm. much like conrad is preparing on a weekly basis with bruce and with tony that's double the preparation now yeah. to have to put all that together people think that it only takes like 20 minutes half an hour absolutely not no. like this is hours of preparation yeah so that's why i give a lot of credit to conrad on this podcast about <laughs> heavy metal i'm i don't know if conrad's a heavy metal fan but we'll just put him over on the sure. podcast anyway probably like some hard rock why not but, but anyway back to, to, to go back <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> back to me now so you were saying uh that you were talking about the score how you you we were talking about the score right yeah i'm yeah. now confused so, score TSN. <laughs> yeah no no that's fine i i did hear that uh, through that the reason i brought up the podcast was because conrad and bruce did talk about the fact that michael landsberg was at one point being considered to become a wwe announcer oh so that's it just popped into my head yeah yeah that uh, maybe that's uh that could have been one reason why uh those guests came on the show i see it was, it was almost like an audition yeah. so to speak whether it was before or after i'm not sure about mm -hmm. the timeline but that it, it could absolutely line up. It makes but sense. But Landsberg's a, a gem. Like he's like he is a legend in in Canadian broadcasting. You know. Yeah, I believe it. So, uh, so the score uh, is where I really got my first break. So when I got there, it was May of two thousand nine, and uh, I was an intern uh, volunteer for a few months, and then they had a serious radio station. Uh, and they uh, also had a television station. They, they, they sold off the television station eventually, but they had a serious radio station and a, and a television station, and I pitched uh, being at the right place at the right time, right? Like, that, that's what, honestly, like... Well, but you say that, but you also had to work nine years to get to that place. Right, the right it's time. like <laughs> you worked 10 years to be an overnight success, yeah, yeah, say, yeah. right? It's like yeah. suddenly, who is this person? This is how I got my big break. I got my big break because I happened to be volunteering there and I happened to be on the all employees email list and the vice president of programming on the television side sent out an email to every employee and said, we are looking for television uh, show ideas and we want to, uh, you know, if you have any ideas, fill out this one page form. Mm -hmm. And I always thought uh, the score, the, the, the biggest property that the score had was WWE. They aired yeah. Raw and SmackDown. So imagine, I guess it's similar to the way it is now. Like every WWE property aired on the score. Mm -hmm. The one channel for WWE in Canada was the score. And so I I filled out the one-page form saying, why don't we have a post-game show for WWE? Coming out of Raw, coming out of SmackDown. Right. Why not have a half an hour live studio show with analysts talking about what just happened? And I filled out the one-page form, and I sent it back to his assistant. And then about 20 or 30 minutes later, I got an email saying, can you come into the office to talk about this? And then that's how 
at the time known as right after wrestling. That's how it was born. So you pitched this and they were like, and they, what's interesting is that they didn't like take the idea and like ditch you. <laughs> like you were attached to the idea. I Which feel I got lucky about. I yeah, think I feel they could have very easily times. done that because yeah. if I was if I was in their building and if I was under contract, so to speak, mm -hmm. any idea that you come up with is any is is the it belongs to the company you right. work for. Yeah, unless it's in your contract that it's not. Yeah, but yeah. it wasn't in mine. I, I didn't even think you about know? that at the time. So right, and really, I mean, what could you do with that idea without? What the, was I going to do? I mean, yeah. like take uh, it somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so they. So the reason it worked was because of the lead-in, right? Like yeah. because people were tuning in to watch Raw and SmackDown, they would probably stick around for an extra 10, 15, even half an hour to watch analysis because they were probably talking about it amongst their friends anyway. Yeah, it's an easy easy way to hook the viewers and and get them to stay another half hour. Yeah. Makes sense. So 2009. So you get this break. So you're yeah. the you're the host of the. So you pitch this to them. They like it, and then you go on the air with the show right after wrestling. Yeah. So the second episode, the first episode, I was uh, it, it was a, a primitive form of Twitter. Basically, it was like people were sending in text messages for 25 cents. Mm -hmm. So I was reading the text messages and responding to them. There was like a sidebar on the air. So I was doing that. And then the second episode, I had a laptop on me for about six months. So I was the. Uh, the update analysis guy and then eventually worked my way up to being one of the analysts on the show and then uh when renee left for wwe in 2012 i want to say i uh took over as a host yeah okay yeah so that worked out swimmingly for you that ended up being that was like a, a, it was it was very good yeah it was um that was my big break yeah right? in, and that in terms of and i and, and this is the thing when i did that i thought by getting use wrestling parlance to get over with the audience the wrestling audience in canada i felt like that would help me eventually be able to uh, impress wwe themselves right going back to that initial advice that yeah. you had about going forward so so then you're doing this and this is, would this be like your first full-time job in broadcasting yes thing? yeah it would be my first full-time job the last year that i the last year or the last two years i was there was a full-time position so you're volunteering it took you nine years of volunteering to get a broadcasting gig yes i'm just i'm it, it wouldn't I'm be that difficult for everybody like some people get uh jobs right out of school yeah which is totally which is great but for also me, if they go to school they have the the college i guess in canada there's no tuition for college i don't know what's, oh, what's the, oh the, yeah. i mean but you have all that debt getting out of school to go to broadcasting school you know uh, so but I, the, the reason I say that is like people just assume I feel like people have this entitled view of, uh, of media where like, oh, I want to do this. Uh, get me to do this. And it's like no one's going to give you the opportunity. You have to prove yourself over and over again. And in your case, for nine years <laughs> yeah. until someone gives you that opportunity. Well, uh, if you want to have a conversation about that, how difficult is it today? How many what is what has the increase been in journalism slash broadcasting graduates at the sec post-secondary education level, mm -hmm. and what is the percentage of jo uh, jobs available? What has been the shrink yeah. in percentage of jobs available in the broadcasting industry? If you look at, like, Canada's a great example. Anytime I, I read a major news story about broadcasting, Rogers, Bell, whatever it is, slashing hundreds of jobs. The, the, the television industry is shrinking, yeah. but the amount of graduates coming out right, of school, the of I don't know this for sure, but I'm assuming no, that right. it's either the, the same or more. Is, I guess the other, the other side of that, though, is that with the uh, internet now, you kind of don't need to be a journalist. You could just open your own site. Have we caught up, though? Like, has the number of jobs in the digital space caught up to no. the number of jobs lost <laughs> in the television space? No, no, definitely. And, like, what are, what are the incomes? 
You know what I mean? Right. You've been doing metal injection for what? Fifteen uh, years? Almost. Almost. Yeah, like almost thirteen years. How long did it take for you to make it a full time? Uh, I quit my job seven years in. Uh, seven years in. Yeah, it took seven years. Seven years. And we weren't even really like it took like another year or two until it was like okay now this is a salary <laughs> like now this is but yeah it takes a lot of work it doesn't that give people listening anybody who wants to get into the media i'm not dis- discouraging i i i'm yeah the no, biggest uh, fan of chase your dream right but put it into perspective yeah you got to put in the work that's i mean i've always said like people always try to come up to me like what's your advice for quote unquote making it and it's like uh you you got to make your own opportunities you know that's what i always say like as long as you're moving forward and and at the end of the year, you feel like you've gotten to a place like you've done better this year than you did the year before. Keep going. And then eventually you'll you'll t- look back and be like, whoa, look at how far I've gone. You know, it, you don't really notice it incrementally. It's, it's a, once some time has passed, I feel. So you're so you you did your first audition. Yeah. And then did you have were you still sending in tapes while you were uh, doing the, the right after wrestling? I, I sent emails at that point. I hadn't heard back from them in about four years. But then around. 2013 uh, I finally I think there was a change in the front office and this was still your goal like you weren't oh totally wavering on this this is where I wanted that to happen yeah I was very stubborn I wanted to get there eventually Mm -hmm. I was still doing independence uh, you know building a name there I was doing the score I was still so what were you doing on independence now Uh, at at that point point. I was ring announcing I was doing play-by-play in 2012 I did stuff with Dragon Gate USA it was it 2012 yeah, around there, I started. I did stuff with Lenny Leonard and Dragon Gate USA. Oh, okay. And then uh, Lenny was nice enough to uh, talk to Gabe to make me his uh, his rep- like his fill in whenever Lenny couldn't make a show, mm-hmm. which I, I I thank him for every time I see him because that was really nice of him to do. So that was the first time I was able to uh, do some shots in the states, uh, which was great. And uh, I thought you know this was all building you know getting reps and building rapport and yeah. being on the road and just experiencing that as well. Yeah, I mean that's great. You like know? doing the ring announcing, like well that and, just and, the play and the play by play. Like, Sorry, yeah, yeah the, you need so that like, experience. You just you just hit the ground running, right? Like that's the way it was, and I did yeah. stuff with Smash Wrestling as well. Did, did some play by play with them as well, and I was still doing stuff behind the scenes because I enjoyed putting together events, right? So I was enjoying the uh, the the planning side of it, the pro wrestling side, you know, let the booker book the talent and things like that. But I want to help with the promotion. How are we going to make this town, you know, in, in uh, I, I did a cross Canada tour once. I just, I, I, I found local promoters in like 10 or 12 different cities across Canada. Mm-hmm. And I just decided, you know what, I've never experienced life on the road and I want to experience this, but I want to see if we can make a tour successful. And I can't believe I didn't lose money on that tour because I really should have. For BSE? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I you can't did... believe. I can't believe. I, I was like, man. So you just decided I want to book a tour. Yeah, I did. <laughs> and you did it. And, and it was the same wrestlers on the whole tour to... or, or like we, well, change we, it up? We did different. Like, I mean, uh, we went all the way to Saskatchewan. So we, we drove all in all probably around ten or 12,000 miles, I would say. Was, wow. Was, or maybe, actually, no, no, maybe not. Ten, 10 or 12,000 kilometers. So I don't know what that is in miles. Uh, was it half of that? So nah. about five, 6,000 miles, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Someone tell us on Twitter. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll anyway, fi- we'll uh, out we booked different things. Like on the Saskatchewan loop, we had uh, Rhino and uh, Joe Legend was there because he was in town. Uh, he, he grew up in Canada. And he mm-hmm. was living in Germany because he was making, uh, doing his living uh, in Europe, getting booked as an independent wrestler in Europe. But he came back because his family still lives in Canada. So. Uh, we used him. Uh, who else did we have? Tracy Brooks was with us for a little while. Uh, but yeah, it was mostly Ontario wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So you're do, you're doing a lot of stuff right now. Like yeah. this is you you are a busy guy, 
And then when when what was the WWE edition that like broke you through that got you in? So 2013, I went to audition again. That one, I felt really confident. I felt that I did really well. Uh, now you're like much more experienced. Yeah. You, you've already done the play, like you already know what the audition's going to be. You're not as nervous. Yes. Yeah, I really felt like that was a, a good turning point. And then uh, I didn't get the job, a little demoralized about it. Uh, but then... Uh, was it the same type of audition? You just kind of do the same interviewing... I don't know if it was Joey Styles or someone else pretending to be another guy. Basically, yeah. yeah. But I was calling matches and stuff too. Like I, I thought I did really well and I didn't get the job. Mm. So I was down in the dumps about it. But then a few days later, I got a call from someone at WWE who shall remain, remain nameless, uh, but basically talked to me for like 45 minutes and said, look, uh, here's how it's going to happen for you. And then just basically laid it down for me. And, uh, you know, like here's what to tweak. Here's what to change. Here's what to do. Uh, oh, so just like constructive criticism of like exactly here's how to improve what, what they didn't like about here's you. why you know that kind of stuff. So I made all those changes and I and that was like a it was like the come to Jesus meeting, you know, like yeah. very very um, that was a pivotal moment for me to understand what I needed to do. And then I had to make a decision: was I willing to sacrifice and do what needed to be done in order to mm -hmm. make it? And the answer was yes for me, and I did. So then you get how did how did you find out you got the gig? Did that same so what on? ended up happening was uh, I had two more auditions after that, and then I was sitting at an airport uh, in twenty. At this point, it's what twenty fourteen. I'm sitting at an airport uh, on my birthday, flying home, and uh, I decided to just send a send a text message just to follow up, just be like, "Hey, uh, you know." I at that point, I, I at that point, I was working with the Weather Network, which is like the Weather Channel in Canada. And uh, it was a good gig. It was a full-time gig. I was living in Vancouver, great city, you know, and enjoyed it this very much. This is an much. addition to the post show, or you stopped doing that? At the uh, th this was after the score. So okay. after I left so the eventually score. eventually you left the score. Why did you leave the I score? I left the score. Uh, I got laid off because of uh, the Rogers had bought the score, and so they were laying off hundreds of people. I see, just yeah, the it was a, yeah, corporate, it was a corporate changeover. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so when I was working at the Weather Network, uh, I basically – I was, I, it was a comfortable job. Like I could have done that for many years and had a great life. And then, uh, I don't know. I just, you know, at it's that not point, what you wanted to yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely still had that hunger. So I just sent a text message on sitting at the airport on my birthday. And then 10 minutes later, I get a phone call. <laughs> Literally. I got a phone call wow. basically saying, all right, we're going to go, uh, move forward, uh, with this, with this process. Just and all I was like, sent a text "Whoa!" <laughs> I guess I guess the the stars must have aligned. I mean, I had I had auditioned a couple months earlier, so they or maybe a month earlier. Oh, so it was like a follow so up, like, hey, yeah, I was following up and seeing if if they were interested. And I then, see, I see. Uh, finally, the stars aligned for me, and then that was like the greatest birthday gift ever. The best call you've ever gotten, right? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, <definitely>, <laughs> uh, in that at in the that, time, in that moment, and then yeah. so. Uh, I but even then, like the skeptical part in me, because I'd heard so many stories about people receiving these calls and, and not happening. So I was like cautiously optimistic, like, is this actually going to happen? I was Canadian. So am I going to be able to get a visa? Like all these things were, mm -hmm. were swirling in my head. And luckily, uh, everything worked out. And then uh, I started there in September or late August. Yeah. And so you like moved to, to Stanford, right? You like relocated. And then was that did that happen before you started? Or what was that? As soon as everything uh, ha on the legal side, like as soon as all the visas were uh, set up and everything, then I moved in. Uh, yeah, I moved. Uh, they uh, they were nice enough to give me a month uh, to to find a place. Like basically, you know, we'll put you in a hotel uh, for a period of time, which was about like a month. And I 
started looking for a place to rent. And then soon after, I moved to beautiful Stamford, Connecticut. <laughs> that must have been as a bit of a... Known, as it's known, Stam Vegas, as I found out. Oh, really? Is there gambling there? Or no, it's why, just why? because apparently it's uh, there's a lot of small towns around Stamford, and all those small town people on the weekends come to Stamford to party, and apparently that's the big party town. I was not aware of this, but Stam <laughs> Vegas it is. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so what's it, what was it like to finally get there? And like, like what was your what were your first days there? Like, do you have any early memories of, of your first days? Yeah, like, I, I can't was, believe I'm here. Yeah, it, that's exactly what it was. I was I was overjoyed. I was really happy. It was uh, it was uh, a surreal in the, in a way to be there and mm-hmm. and just to say it was it, it not only the fact that it was like WWE itself. I think it was the culmination of chasing a dream you know like if you've ever had a dream become a reality the moment that happens or the moment it sinks in that it's actually happening is just it's such a peaceful moment you know like it's like i cannot believe this actually happened and i worked so hard at it and put so much effort into it and sacrificed so much and you know like and it just made it in that moment it made it all worth it you know Mm -hmm. and so like what were you what, what were you doing like what were your earliest gigs it was uh, it was the same for the entire time. Uh-huh. Uh, actually, it was uh, I was uh, hired in the international division, uh, and I hosted a couple of programs called Bottom Line, and then later Experience, which are basically magazine type shows for uh, recaps of Raw and SmackDown, and mm-hmm. those air in international markets. So they air in uh, about thirty or forty countries. I I, I, I I don't remember exactly how many, but yeah. basically international markets like India and. And, so uh, like recap Europe and exactly so yeah. it would be like on cam match on cam promo right. on cam this yeah like essentially those Gene Oakland Control Center type of yeah shows, except we right? were in a studio yeah yeah, yeah but basically shows. like that yeah. yeah that's cool and then so I mean you were doing that for a while uh, you were in Sanford did you interact with uh, Vince McMahon at all any Vince McMahon stories I only shook his hand once I only met him once I was never on the road uh, I was on the road maybe once a month honestly and mm-hmm. so I only ever saw him once and it was at a uh, I think it was a Wrestlemania party so like the WWE puts on parties for their employees like appreciation parties like whether it's a holiday party or a Wrestlemania party mm-hmm. and uh, he was there and he just was shaking people's hands and I just shook his hand and said hello and uh, that was it I, I never had a conversation with him how was it on the road? Like, oh, did you? I guess you were used to it from the indie days, right? Like, yeah, I mean, like experience. I had friends there. Like, I knew people because I'd either interviewed them through the score and built a relationship, or I was, uh, I had worked with them in the independence, and so it was nice to uh, see old friends. But I wasn't on the road enough to like experience it. Like, it was literally I was there for one show so like Mm -hmm. and it was always driving distance too so like if raw was in albany i would go get some interviews for international and then i would drive back and oftentimes i would even drive back before the show was over uh because uh the producer that i was with needed to do something at the studio the next day so i wasn't like in integrated in the backstage environment because i I was only there for like you're more integrated in the corporate environment yeah definitely i spent a lot of time at titan tower I yeah. spent a lot of time in different departments. One of the things that I really wanted to do and uh, I was hoping would become a reality was, I mean, on-air work is very volatile, right? Like everybody knows this. It's yeah. a very fragile job. It's never guaranteed. It's, you know, it's, it, you know enjoy it while you can. I, I lasted two years there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so enjoy the moment while it's there. And so 
I was actively going to all departments and asking people about their jobs. And I would once a week pick a different department and I would go to the sales department and ask them what they did. And I would go to the merchandise department and ask them what they did. Uh, the, the talent relations department. So I'd be meeting all these people at the tower and doing like a series of informational interviews just to understand, uh, you know, if, if and when my on-air career came to an end, uh, how could I transition to something behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. And that was always my hope. You're, you're always thinking ahead. You're always thinking of the next Yeah, step. my hope would be that, you know, if, if I didn't make it as an on-air personality, which absolutely can happen, it did happen, and it would, and you, you know, you always got to think about yeah. plan B in a situation like that. And so I was thinking, okay, well, what could I do? And so yeah, that's uh, what I was doing. Did you kind of like, I feel like it's been like a year now. Like, did you see the, the writing on the wall that like, oh, this isn't going as I thought it would. They're not giving me the opportunities I would like. This might not, might not happen. Or yeah, I think it's on me to be honest with you. I mean, when I look back on it, I think I was just over ambitious. I think I was like knocking on doors too many times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think I learned a lot about, uh, I, I, I don't think staying in your lane is the right wording, but like everything, ha it's, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint, put it that way. And, mm -hmm. and I felt like, I guess I felt like the, the less opportunities that came my way, the less uh, I would survive. You know what I mean? Right. Not really understanding that I should just, you know, take every day as it is. And, you know, I was I was I was I, I'm I'm naturally a hyper ambitious person. Like I, 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 I love being as busy as possible as Sounds like evidenced it. by. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, and that's why I like being here at MSG Networks, because uh, I have the opportunity to do several different things. And it's yeah. great. I enjoy uh, that outlet and it it's very satisfying you know so like uh, so like i don't blame anybody for my like i know that they were going a different direction they were looking at other people and, and hiring other people and that happens and i'm not I, i'm not bitter at it at all and in fact to be honest with you i was burnt out from wrestling at that point like i just uh, was it, there a little sense of relief when you got the call or, or like how what was the feeling like when you when you heard about yeah it? i think there was i think i think i was very i took a deep breath all my friends were in town from Toronto then anyway. So like that night I just went out and, and it was like, you know, it was nice to have um, that support system around me. Yeah. And I just like I was upset, of course, because uh, the dream job was over. But then I realized that I had other dreams that I wanted to fulfill. And in fact, I wanted to get to them six months ago, you know. So you were already kind of once you fulfill your dream. You're kind of like, well, what's the next step, right? Like, that's kind of, I feel like that happened uh, for me with metal. Like, my dream was to do metal injection mm -hmm. full time. And then I did it. And then it was like, well, now what? <laughs> so did you kind of find yourself exactly. with that once you got, when you were in it, like you said, six months before in WWE and you're like, what do I do now? Yeah, like at the year mark of doing shows like Bottom Line Experience, I, I still enjoyed doing them. But I was thinking, well, what else could I do? Yeah. And then like, you know, I got lucky with pitching uh, This Week in History, mm -hmm. uh, which was like a three minute segment that we threw up on social media and on YouTube. And then we did like a U WWE Universe debate every week using a different hashtag and that kind of thing. So that was a lot of fun. You know, mm -hmm. like I was trying to find my own work in that. And I was doing stuff with uh, uh, up, up, down, down, uh, Austin Creed's, uh, video game channel. Oh, that's right. You were doing like, yeah, I was doing like stuff. retro streams, uh, once a week. Like I was just trying to carve out different uh, yeah. things to do, you know, make so, yourself use. And so, um, but yeah, like I said, I have no ill will at all. I still talk to a lot of people there and I, 
encourage people to like if 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 there's an announcer or a broadcaster out there that wants to make it to wwe i tell them everything i know you know Mm -hmm. like it's not like i'm guarding any secrets or anything i tell them every every i tell them my path but then i also tell them here look at these five six other people and how they made it to wwe as an announcer because that path is a little bit different than how a superstar makes it to or how a wrestler becomes right a there's no training schools for wrestling broadcasters exactly <laughs> right so yeah uh yeah no i mean like that i have to say like the like i always dreamed about a very similar job to what you landed in wwe so what I was, was your dream job what was the uh to be a uh an announcer to be like or like i always wanted to be a manager because i felt like i cut a great promo mm-hmm. but i have no athletic ability <laughs> but I'm too tall to be a manager. I'm six five, so it's like I should be the fucking wrestler, you yeah. know. Uh, or, but, but really, an announce like a, a ring announcer was what I would always, I would always pretend to be the ring announcer, like when I was a kid. Greg Hamilton's and, tall. He's, I think he's six two or six three. Tom is tall too. Tom Phillips is tall. Tom Phillips. There's a there's a conspiracy online about Tom Phillips being tall. The Tom that he uh, spreads his legs when he cuts promos when he's. Uh, interviewing the wrestlers to make them look well, I taller. can't confirm or deny that one i can't <laughs> confirm or deny that i did that either interesting 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 yeah, gotta keep guys, the kayfabe. guys secrets okay <laughs> guys, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll cut it out uh <laughs> uh but uh no yeah so like uh it, it was cool just talking and learning about that and i went through the whole say like a very similar uh trajectory with like the college radio and, and, and doing the broadcast and realizing that's what i wanted to do but the point is if you want to do it you should Keep trying to do it. Don't rely on WWE to call you, right? right. It sounds like you got to make your own opportunities, right? Because the they, biggest advice that I tell people, it, it, if we're getting into this conversation yeah, yeah. about how people get into WWE as a broadcaster, the biggest f- advice that I tell them is number one, be aware of the product, but more importantly, align yourself with a reputable broadcast outlet. Yeah. So go work for the CBS affiliate in a city in America. Go work for ESPN. Go work for the Weather Channel. Go work for uh, Greg Hamilton and uh, I think Mike Rome came from uh, American Idol Live, right? Yeah. Uh, Tom Tom uh, went to Penn State for broadcasting and uh, he was doing Division Two games or something like that before mm-hmm. he came to WWE. Like the people that are being hired as broadcasters today have a sports or on-air connection um i think uh one of the um broadcasters that got hired in the last two or three years uh, was the in-game host for the florida panthers right like these are all jobs that aren't necessarily in wrestling Mm -hmm. right so what i'm trying to say is that's going to get you far to be able to work at these kind of outlets is 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 invaluable in trying to gain wwe's attention as a broadcaster you need to you need to prove that like somebody else thought you had value as a broadcaster before uh <laughs> Someone, someone's calling us in the office right now should we answer it uh, i don't know that number let's let's i divert it there we diverted it perfect to human resources so sorry fun. guys we're gonna leave it in too so we? yeah you you rebounded uh swimmingly you work at the msg yeah so now. i mean to, yeah so when i got let go uh, I, I just started dating uh, my current girlfriend jen mm-hmm. and she is a teacher it lined up perfectly actually because a couple months later she had the whole summer off so we just had like the summer of fun and it was like the perfect way to detox and just like hit the reset button on Mm -hmm. life so we went on trips we just did a lot of fun stuff it was it was a blast it was great and it was 
I, I didn't realize how much I needed it too, you know, just to hit the reset button on life, like I said. And then uh, I switched agents and uh, my current agent is a great guy, Mike. Uh, he uh, found, got me in the door with MSG. He, I, I had one meeting and then all of a sudden I was hosting their MSG hockey show. And I had always grew up a hockey fan. Uh, it was my another favorite passion. sport growing up. Yeah, exactly. Another yeah, yeah. passion. And I'm ha- very happy that I'm able to explore that because it's a ton of fun. And you're also a podcaster now. You've entered the, the podcasting yes. game. Yes. It's fun, <laughs> man. Podcasting yeah. is great. Yeah. I find, I, do you find this to you? Tell me what you think. I find that when I say that I'm doing a podcast and, 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 and booking people as guests, they're much more receptive than when I was doing a podcast with Jimmy Corderas like six years ago. I feel like people have really come around to podcasts to the point where they like even like PR people now are like, oh, yeah, cool. You do a podcast. Yeah, let's bring you on some guests. Yeah. Like it's like a a totally viable platform where people want to promote their stuff. Yeah. I feel like just like you said, a few years ago, people didn't know what podcasts were. It seemed like very low rent. But now that like there's, you know, news about podcasts getting hundreds of thousands of downloads and all that. And it's the new radio you know, uh, I think people uh, realize the value of it. Yeah. And I, I agree. It's much easier now to b- book guests on, like, uh, you know, the other podcasts I do. We've been doing it for seven years. Much harder at first just to get people to call in. Like, what? <laughs> like, oh, I mean, yeah. we, man, I, I we released right after wrestling, then soon became Aftermath, uh, the podcast, around the same time that uh, Cabana, Cold Cabana, started his <laughs> podcast, right? Like, we were like six months apart. And, like, back in those days, it wasn't. Like it was and tough. I guess with wrestlers, nobody wants to, at that time, people were less likely to break the kayfabe, maybe. I don't know. I don't know about that. I, Harley Race was, I'll tell you that. Oh, man, he was the toughest interview we did at <laughs> that time. He just, like, it was, <laughs> you hear, I had, like, 10 questions prepared. I'm asking him questions, and he's just, like, totally blowing off every question. He's on the phone. I definitely didn't want to do the interview at all, I'm guessing. Did he and, shake like, your hand? Did he No, this was hand? over the phone. Oh, over the and, phone. And, uh... The, finally I said well uh, what can you tell us what your career highlight is and he he pauses and goes well I think I have eight of them Duh. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that all right Sean Grandy who's uh, the play-by-play guy for the Celtics he always jokes about that one with me he's like yeah that was a great interview with Harley Race man great job <laughs> like even years later I'm like yeah thanks Sean appreciate that well, you have a great story out of it yeah exactly <laughs> uh, you know, being a Canadian, I'm sure you've had run-ins with the Hearts. Do you have any stories about the Hearts? Yeah, I remember uh, the first time I ever got to go to the WrestleMania after party, Bret Hart uh, brought in myself and Scott Demore. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scotty D is one of the, the best. He's great. He uh, he, he runs uh, Windsor. He has Can-Am Wrestling School. A lot of great people came out of there as well. And uh, he I think he's working with Impact City again wrestling. now. Is he? Awesome. Yeah. As he should. He's, he's, he's one of the best. Mm-hmm. So we went up there, and before I could get into the party, there's uh, Bruce Hart and uh, one of the – I think maybe Ross. And, man, if you get caught with uh, one heart, let alone two, that is at minimum a 45-minute conversation. Oh, boy. So I'm at the door, <laughs> and I'm like, I get to go – like not that the – I mean, at the, uh, this was what? The WrestleMania in – I want to say Phoenix – that was the what WrestleMania was that? I oh, twenty six. Is that twenty six? Okay, so yeah. twenty six in Phoenix, and uh, I'd never been to a WrestleMania party before, so it was still like a mysterious thing to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was, what ha- what happened at the WrestleMania party. <laughs> so I was like excited to be there, and then that conversation lasted like forty five minutes, and I literally walk in finally when the conversation is over. I think Bruce wanted to come on aftermath or something. I think that's what he was just like trying to, and then. Uh, 
I walk into the party and then Scott's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> Man. I'm like, I didn't even get to get like a yeah. free drink or a free food or anything. Nothing. Walk right back out. Ah, oh, Bruce. <laughs> I've had some fun conversations with Bruce, though. He's uh, the hearts, all of them. I mean, they're, they've uh, led quite a life. Of, I know. Life, no yeah. kidding. No kidding. Do you still watch wrestling? Do you no, follow? I don't. Honestly. You're done with I, it? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm invested in the success of uh, people that I really like in the wrestling business. Like, I'm really happy for the Bollywood boys. I'm mm-hmm. super happy that they're there in NXT. I can totally see them on Raw and SmackDown. And they're going to... I really hope they, uh, they, they blow up the scene in India. I really hope they become the faces of WWE in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they have a lot of great things going for them. Uh, aside from being great workers and having a great gimmick. They uh, speak... I think they speak Punjabi. And uh, in fact, Harv was uh, a Bollywood actor. So like oh, he is that. ingrained in that in that environment. And so I feel like that's a huge positive for them. They earn their like they they wrestled for years and years and years around. Right. So I'm super happy for them. And anytime I hear like any of my friends uh, from from the indie days getting a tryout or getting a look, finally, I'm extremely happy for them. I know that uh, I think Aliyah is there. Yeah, I she's on NXT. I was in NXT. Yeah, she she's a Rob Fuego trainee, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy for her success. And yeah, there's, that's that's basically my interest level. I, I I tried to watch the Royal Rumble match, not mm-hmm. the whole pay per view, but the Royal Rumble match, and I was just like, I was happy that Graves was on commentary. That was that was my <laughs> takeaway from <laughs> that. I was like, oh, that's that's great. Does Finally, it, Graves got onto Raw. Were you like too close to it? Like like is it too like why don't you want or you just don't care? Like I guess I did got you stop watching out. while you were there? Like yeah, I, I didn't watch like, the, before I left uh, WWE or got like oh I guess you know seeing the writing on the wall. I didn't even watch WrestleMania that weekend. I I, I they didn't send me to WrestleMania, so I I hosted an international film festival in the city, mm-hmm. and I was like, this is what I'm going to do this weekend. You know, if I'm not working, then why would I? You know. So yeah. I wasn't I wasn't like going to live tweet WrestleMania or anything anyway. So I went hosted a film festival and that was fine. I but like I guess I don't know, like I guess after everything that I've gone through, my interest in the wrestling space is I guess it's no longer to consume it as a viewer. I think it's more to if there was an opportunity for me to help announcers, like maybe be an announcer scout, mm-hmm. I think I would be interested in something like that um, because I think I spent a lot of time like understanding that role and also how it's, you know, obviously picking the brains of all the greats, right? Like I heard JR is back there now, which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you know, spending a lot of time with Mean Gene while I was there, which is great. Spending a lot of time. That must have been surreal hanging out with Mean Gene. Oh, I loved it. The stories were great. Kettle ones were great too, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, no, just like picking his brain is great. I mean, like he's got 40, 50 years of, amazing stories but not only that but just understanding of the business right so. also just w- the, w- the most talented interviewer i feel oh. like watching watching especially watching old nitros sometimes like he was carrying the interview the the person he was talking <laughs> to did not know what the hell they were talking about and he would he would have to like hold their hand and be like well what you're saying is you're gonna beat this guy at the spring st peter or yeah that's right <laughs> exactly and he was yeah. Uh, yeah he knew what to get over exactly yeah so. yeah yeah oh yeah well, that's yeah. So um, something like that would be fun. But I think don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, maybe one day I'll, you know, just, I know yeah, this is where you are. Now. Would in, you I, see yourself? I uh, but promo- I, I also have to watch a lot of hockey, though. 
And that's right. the other thing is like with the with the work that I do here now, I have to actually watch a lot more sports than I did. Mm. I was just a fi- I was just a hobby. It was just a hobby for me. Right, right. But now I have to actually go to arenas and watch hours and hours of hockey and and other sports. You know, and it's not just the MSG property. Uh, teams it's every team like i have to be watching nhl network to to understand what's going on in the league and listening to podcasts so uh that's that consumes a lot of your a time. very time yeah. consuming job so for me to to be able to watch three hours of raw and two hours of smackdown and then a pay-per-view twice a month i i don't I, I don't have the time to do that anymore yeah so do you ever see yourself uh doing any more show promoting putting on any more wrestling shows down the line or that that's part of your past as well. I think I, I think it's part of my past. I think I would uh, consult, like if there was a promoter that came to me and said, "Hey, I, uh, you know," I, you just I, don't have that draw. Like I don't think I have the desire to put on wrestling shows anymore. No, yeah, but I, I, I do have the desire to help out. Like I'll, it, I, for example, my buddy Jan Murphy, who's a um, a writer with uh, in Kingston. Uh, he's one of the preeminent wrestling writers mm-hmm. these days and he has he did like a yearly charity show uh, i think it shows uh, the promotion's called chinlock wrestling he needed some like uh, auction items so i said how about you do an auction where uh, a winner i'll skype with them for half hour and uh i'll critique their announcing mm-hmm. so uh a guy uh, somebody uh bid for it and then i talked to them for a while on skype and we just talked about announcing right right and i'm still in touch with him now and he's yeah. he's he's going along in his journey to be a uh an announcer with uh in pro wrestling right so stuff like that i don't mind doing at all I, and i enjoy that and it like i think it's the people more than the actual you know what i mean like there's a lot of yeah. great people uh that i made friends with Especially in WWE, like the international department, there's so many great people and behind the scenes that never really get credit. You know, like there's mm-hmm. so many great people that I worked with. Uh, the web department. I always joke that the first floor of the Titan Tower is my favorite floor because there's all that's where all the the fans are. Mm-hmm. You know, like people that work in the web department, people who are writing the articles on .com, and uh, you know, all the way up to the vice president level. Like there's people there that have been there for so many years, and they just love wrestling and Mm -hmm. wwe and 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 that's those are the people that i identified with the most and you know that i'm happy that they're getting to do that job you know because you can't use that you can't really use that uh knowledge elsewhere tell me about it i think about it i have so (laughs) much wrestling knowledge in my brain it's honestly why i started this podcast did you ever did you ever think about uh writing wrestling did you ever do that uh writing like like about wrestling a a wrestling blog like was there a a wrestling my friend uh wrestling is the reason for my whole life wrestling because my, both of my parents were immigrants yes. wrestling was what taught me english <laughs> really yeah wrestling and like sesame street you know like okay. that's or difference between good and bad blah 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 wrestling is what got me interested in starting websites my first website was a wrestling website i eventually what was it called uh, I'm, I'm just, flipping the tables here, but I'm very interested in this. It was initially like an AOL, like a free AOL web okay. page, but I eventually got my own .com, which was WrestlingArena.com. Nice. I also worked on ProWrestling.com. And, and also, Did you? Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, ProWrestling.com. And, uh, Do you want to hear a funny so, story about that? So, sure. Uh, ProWrestling.com in the 90s was where I actually got... Like that's the first dirt sheet, quote unquote. Yeah, that I, well, that, the, that guy for. had the best fucking domain. Oh, it was the, gre- the I greatest knew, yeah, domain. I knew one and, of the uh, guys, yeah. when I got signed, ProWrestling.com put something up about me, mm-hmm. and my best friend, who him and I would bond over wrestling and like read ProWrestling.com, yeah. he randomly texted me like a, uh, a week after I 
it started at WWE and he's like, oh my God, ProWrestling.com posted an article about you getting signed. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Yeah. Pro- now I've made it. If yeah, ProWrestling.com put an article up. Uh, yeah, so I, I ran, I did a wrestling site throughout my, my teens. I would do like live pay-per-view coverage and it really taught me uh, how to make websites and how That's to awesome. do, how to like market a website, you know? Uh, and then I eventually, like, uh, once WCW was sold, uh, that's kind of when my interest in wrestling kind of faded. And also it was when I started developing a social life more so. <laughs> okay. So I was like, all right, I don't want to do it. Because, I mean, I was, it was a job that, like like you said, it's like a hobby. I didn't think of it as a job. It was fun. But eventually I was like, I'd rather hang out than sit at the computer. And then I eventually started a music website and then metal so yeah i'd rather not sit at the computer but then let's start a metal web (laughs) well it's just like the computer well when i stopped doing the website it was just something i was so it was a hobby and a skill that i was doing for so long that i i like missed updating a website as silly as that sounds so i just had an itch to uh you know have a creative outlet for something else and then i was like well i don't want to do a wrestling site anymore i'm done with that and you know, whatever wrestling was kind of, I kind of got out of it a little bit. And so I started uh, doing a music site just because it was, I was at my college radio station. I was like really getting immersed more so into music. And so I was like, let me focus on that. And then I started metal injection and now I'm coming back around to the wrestling stuff. Now I'll, uh, I'll tell you uh, one story uh, about that combines wrestling and metal Mm -hmm. is that when I was uh, doing the the limited time that I was with NXT mm. uh, doing stuff, I did I did a couple of live events and stuff. And one of the people that I got along with uh, the most was Simon Gotch. And uh, Simon Gotch came up to me. He's a very random dude. Like he'll mm-hmm. he'll just start random conversations. Yeah. And uh, so he came up to me and he's like, "Hey, uh, you ever hear of baby metal?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, "No." And he's like, "You got to watch this." And he pulled up Baby Metal on his phone, and he's like, "This is the greatest band ever." <laughs> <laughs> and we watched the uh, was it the I Want Chocolate video? Yeah, give me chocolate. Give me chocolate. And uh, so that was played at a random NXT live event. And then it became like a theme. Florida. Yeah, it was like a theme. They they were like one of the theme songs of one of the really takeovers. Give me chocolate like- was or just a ran- another song. I think it might have been Gimme Chocolate. Oh, that's great. <laughs> it was just uh, for the for the Nakamura, Matt, like whatever, whoever Nakamura was facing. Oh, man. That was the song. It was pretty great. Uh, all right. Well, I think uh, I think we got it all in. All right. I think that was great. Thanks for I the enjoyed interview, it. Man. I'm very happy with that. It. How could people uh, keep up with you? What are your socials? Uh, you mentioned the podcast. It's called The A-Pod, uh, and it drops every Wednesday mm-hmm. on iTunes and msgnetworks.com. I also write a blog. It happens every Monday. And on Twitter, it's Arda Ocal TV. There you go. Yeah, and uh, send me send me metal links, guys. Like, send me what bands I should be into. On your A Pod, you interviewed the guy who does the WWE creative uh, Twitter. Yes, uh, some of the past guests. Uh, the first guest was uh, he is a lawyer for the Florida Panthers. His name is Rob Karpolis, uh, and he moonlights as the curator slash owner of the WWE creative underscore ish account. Uh, curator? You awesome. mean people send him to? He doesn't. Well, I guess curate is the wrong word. He, <laughs> yeah, he's the he's writer. He's the operator. Yeah, operator. Yeah, the writer. He's, I think he, in, this is my humble opinion, he is the most on point for his audience. Mm-hmm. His tweets are home runs. Agreed. He is, and he used to work in creative, so we talk about that. We talk oh, about him being a creative writer and then going on to 
uh, starting, uh, you know, why he wanted to become a lawyer with a sports team. Mm -hmm. And he grew up in Florida. So like there's all those connections too. And the last guest, uh, well, actually not sure when this drops, but uh, the fourth guest Mm -hmm. uh, was uh, the guitarist from Straight From The Path, Tom Williams. Oh, nice. Who is a huge Rangers fan enormous rangers fan mm-hmm. to the point that he has a rangers tattoo on his leg which i thought was really impressive it's a mike richter tattoo 1994 stanley cup champions mm. new york rangers now when you do a uh, metal hockey cast mm-hmm. uh, i want to be a guest on that as well okay uh, i i feel like i have to get a little more into hockey to do that, though. my <laughs> knowledge of hockey is much more remember minimal when than uh, my, um, I know we're going over time here, but remember when uh, uh, I, I so like the blog on MSGNetworks.com, a lot uh-huh. of it is me just wanting to put over my friends. Right. Like I'll sure. like like Marvel's a perfect example. Right. Like mm-hmm. we have mutual friends at Marvel, H&M, Ryan Panagos mm-hmm. and, and Ben Morse. They're big wrestling fans and they happen to work at Marvel. Right. So and they're they're And they've been they're a perfect example, man. Moving up in the ranks. They've been there for like 10 years each or something. And Ryan's a vice president now, uh, a senior vice president. Ben's a, you know, a high up there, too. Like and they deserve it. Like they are mega marvel like super knowledgeable mm-hmm. right and so i literally said you know what i just want to do something fun with them so i was like what's a good marvel hockey connection and then so we found any characters with any loose connection to marvel and i made it into a blog and i remember i when i started the blog i reached out to you i was like hey can we do uh anything about like a heavy metal hockey connection oh <laughs> well, yeah that's right and then you were like i'm not really a big hockey fan <laughs> yeah i don't my hot like i my friends were really big hockey fans in high school, and I remember passively watching hockey games, but I just never got into it. I, I appreciate the sport. I, uh, I, I would. Play. I'm going to mention that it was on the on this podcast. At least that's what I can do. That that'll be my putting over Rob. There we go. That'll All be right. what that is. So, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> well, Arda, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time. I feel like uh, anybody looking to get into WWE broadcasting uh, probably got a good idea of what what to expect and how it's not just like an easy peasy thing definitely not no and uh put the work in yeah thank you for taking the time to do this thanks for having me man big thanks to arda for for doing me the favor of coming on my show and talking to me about his pro wrestling career and i of course wish him the best at the msg network he's doing some cool stuff on the on the hockey show there so if you're a fan of hockey definitely keep up with arda if you're a fan of this show i'd love for you to keep up with us on socials you can follow me at Rob Injection on all my social media. You can follow the Squared Circle Pit exclusive accounts where I post a ton of fun wrestling stuff throughout the week. Facebook.com slash Squared Circle Pit. On Twitter, it's Squared Circle Pit without the E in circle. I always appreciate any feedback. If you like what you hear, if you if you have a comment on something I said, or, or if you want to suggest a guest, feel free to email me, robert at metalinjection.net. Be back in a few weeks. I got a really, really fun interview lined up. And uh, the only hint I'm going to give you is uh, if it works out, it's somebody from Japan. And it's not Kenny Omega. <laughs> See you in a few weeks.